Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast with Eric Seepin and Andy Littleton. We are both pastors in Tucson, Arizona, mm-hmm. Village Church and, and Mission Church, respectively. And uh, we talked about, well, we started out with John MacArthur and Russell Moore. Yeah, and and the question I'm posing is, why are people with so many perceived similarities so different? And, yes. uh, you know, and, and, uh, especially as, as leading Christians. And so we let that launch us into a conversation that I think was interesting. I enjoyed it. Will you enjoy it? I have no idea. I think so. I think so. I think, I think so. so. I sure did. That's all yeah. I'm saying. All right. And we, uh, and you know, faith over breakfast is, is us processing out something we have never talked about before. So take it as such. Yeah. And, um, we hope you, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy. We hope it gets you thinking, and we hope to hear from you. Yeah. All right, I guess we're on. We're on. Eric, good to see you, man. It's been a couple weeks. It has been a couple weeks. I needed a break. Well, we hung out, but we didn't record two weeks ago, and then the next week, I just was, I, I was too busy. Right. Yeah, we had basically what happened two weeks ago is we had a real faith over breakfast. That we was did so real it wasn't gonna gonna be uh, for general audiences. <laughs> yeah, no, it was not something that should be. I actually really enjoyed that though. That was nice, and that's I think I think what makes me enjoy doing this podcast with you is that we can have those kind of conversations. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and and we we sometimes do some very compelling podcasts and sometimes obscure ones, right? Which I think we're gonna do today. Yeah, you see this? I think this is a compelling one. You, you think, think it's, it's obscure. Oh, I, I think um, I think <laughs> I just I just want to talk about it. Out of the 100 or so listeners that the Faith Over Breakfast has, I don't know how many people are aware of this idea that you're going to kind of introduce and I think maybe yeah, they want to though. They want to know about it. It's just not something they're thinking about. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I'm um I'll try to it must I, be I, you who's buzzing. Yeah, it is. Okay. And, it, and I'm... That's all right. That's all right. You just always get on me. So was, phones off the table. Phones t- off the table. All right. So I have been trying to think through some you know, underlying differences that exist within Christianity. And I think some of this probably is true out in our culture as well. But... I'll just, I'll give you the example that got me thinking about this. So recently, within the last week, two well-known Christian leaders came out with information or they were, you know, public public statements about COVID um, and, you know, there was, and the two of them have both talked publicly about racial issues as well. And they just are in totally opposite world. Like they're coming from different planets, but everything about them would lead you to think they would not do that, that they would be coming from the same place. And so the two I'm talking about right now are Russell Moore of um, the Ethics and Civil Liberties Commission of the Southern Baptist Church and John MacArthur. Um, And they are... They're both not. They're not super young. No, they're they're probably in their sixties. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, MacArthur for sure. Maybe Moore's in his fifties. Yeah, I don't know how more old Moore is. But they're they're not young. They're seasoned. They're veteran pastors. They've been pastors for years, and they both are generally conservative and generally Baptist and reformed. And so, if you're going to go down and check boxes of groups of Christians, you know they have so many of them in common, right? And it's you'd you'd expect they'd come to similar conclusions about things, but in both the areas of you could call it racial justice, or you could say, um, I mean, yeah, politics, I guess, especially as it relates to what's happening right now, they're just they're an opposite world. They're saying totally opposite things, and in MacArthur's case, he's saying that the government doesn't have um, or is overreaching in its restrictions. Uh, Russell Moore is saying we should follow all the safety protocol to love our neighbor. Um, then you've got in the in the racial justice category, Moore is is definitely saying we the church need to look at this and repent, and we need to engage in more helpful um, dialogue, and we need to address this. And John MacArthur is saying that is a perversion of the gospel when you emphasize that type of um, that those initiatives. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, how confusing, first of all, to the church, and second of all, to everybody watching us, that, I mean, this isn't like, this isn't our radical Pentecostal versus our Calvinist, where you go, oh, come on, guys, look, they just have these totally different ways of thinking. That'd be easier, right? A little bit, still confusing. Um, but these are these are people who fundamentally believe all the other theological same stuff. And what I'm I've been thinking about this for weeks, maybe even months, but it just was revived by seeing these things that went out. But I've been thinking, what so what are the differences that we could put our finger on that lead people that look so similar to to speak and view things so differently. So there you go. There it is. That's what's on my mind. And I, yeah, and I I tend to think this way, but I feel like it's helpful to start to get categories to understand why folks differ. Right. So you're asking a question that... Um, yeah, if you could synthesize that question, that'd be really great for everybody. Well, I think you're asking a question that is more complicated and requires maybe people uh, beyond the uh, capacity of you and I. But I think we could take a, a shot at it. The, the first thing that I think when I listen to you talk is that we're always defined by extreme beliefs. So mm-hmm. if you would, could think of John MacArthur's understanding and and Russell Moore, Russell Moore, yeah, yes, they're they're if you, they're like a nice sine curve, and on the outsides of their extreme beliefs, and what happens is the middle of the sine curve, it it is very similar between the two of them, right? But the extreme beliefs are what we see raised to the top, and they're what we hear, and they're. Because you don't talk about what you agree about. Which is a bummer, which right. is 
Which is well, and I should say, somebody recently, John MacArthur is always the one that all of the the you know I would say the the more heavily right leaning and heavily theologically conservative folks kind of gravitate to, but he got online somewhere thrown under the bus for being a compromiser because he did some preaching events with people like John Piper and stuff. Right, and, were, right. and, and people are like, ah, you know, hypocrite. So, um, when in the moment where these folks get together and agree, the, the people who are following them and fueling them sometimes don't appreciate when they agree for a moment because they want you to be totally opposed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's that. So so what we're we're seeing is the ex- differences being raised up and then we see that as defining mm-hmm. who these people are and then they are pit against each other. So that's that's one thing. Right. So no, I see I see what you're saying. So Yeah, there are real differences, but you're saying just the way that we go about it is we focus in on the extreme beliefs. Right. Yeah. So that's one. The second thing, and this is going to be where maybe we lose some of our listeners, is that our hermeneutics, so the way we interpret the Bible, Mm -hmm. right, is very different for Russell Moore, even though he has similar beliefs. Yeah. So his starting point is different. There and his ending point and is his different. ending point yep. is different, and that's one of the ones I've been toying with. How important right. is that in all this? Well, I think so. Here's a classic and easy example uh, between my two favorite people to to pit themselves against each other, yes. and that's N.T. Wright and John Piper. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So here's a here's a thing when it comes to hermeneutic. Piper, in his critique of N.T. Wright, tells people that they shouldn't. This is a literal quote from him. They shouldn't study first century Judaism because it's too dangerous and it might lead you astray. Okay. N.T. Wright, whole hermeneutic. He would be the opposite of that. Says you can't understand what Paul is saying and Jesus is doing if you don't understand in depth. The actual audience they wrote to. Yes. Sure. So this is a way of reading scripture. Both have some benefits, by the way. I was going to say, is Piper talking to the lay person or yes. the churchgoer and he's, saying yes. that's going to con- – not the scholar? Right. Yeah. Right. And he's accusing this particular scholar of doing it too much. And putting it in front of the public too yes, much, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, regardless, it's a way of reading scripture that brings you to different conclusions about the texts that you're reading, which so, then create – decisions about how you're going to behave Mm -hmm. act and Mm -hmm. and that's when we begin to clash so one of the one of the key ones that exists just yeah i have i have thought about that with the moore and uh macarthur combo so john macarthur is dispensational he is a rare bird in the baptist reformed world in his dispensationalism so dispensationalism is of a way of seeing redemptive history as if it is divided up into seven 1,000-year periods yes. that are defined by different modes of redemption. Um, most Reformed folks would say that it undermines the gospel because it makes the gospel uh, the, of 
the death resurrection of Jesus Christ um, and his fulfilling of everything that the temple was all about and such um, only really important for one of the seven dispensations and kind of irrelevant for all of the others. And makes it very difficult to read the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. And, and dispensationalism is about a 100-year-old idea, which isn't good. Like if no one... About 150, but yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Because we just keep going. We've, 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 we've lived, moved we've since I read that book. They called it 100 years yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, because I read that before I was born. Yes. But uh, – <laughs> But the yes, it makes it it makes it hard to read the Old Testament. It's a very new idea, so you have to think. You know, if if Christianity for you know all thousands of years existed without it, and you know, I mean, how true? Like, if if you need that to understand the gospel, right? Uh oh, for so much of history, it could be it could have good insights, and it may help you understand things, but it's not a requirement for your overarching belief system. Yeah, and people who are involved in the Gospel Coalition don't have an agreed-upon um, you know, system like that. Russell Moore is part of the Gospel Coalition, but they tend toward, um, tend toward amillennialism, though there's, there are, and that's a way of viewing the end, which dispensationalism does speak much, a lot about the end where things end up. It it shows you, it gives you a rubric for how to read the Bible, and it gives you a narrative of how things are going to end. That's very. Um, it, it presents a lot of political priorities. Yes, it does. And what I should say, so you're saying all this because uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm because it, it changes the way you view things. If you're a millennial, you believe that the and I actually don't know where Russell Moore is specifically. I'm just saying a lot of his circles are. Um, Piper, who's in that group, is not a millennial. But if you're a millennial, you believe a lot of the things from the Book of Revelation happened at the fall of Jerusalem, etc., and that the next thing that happens in redemptive history is that Jesus returns and there's a judgment. Um. And so there isn't, you don't necessarily, the political priority that you're going to place on any decisions the United States makes or Israel makes or whatever is very low. Right. You don't, it doesn't really matter. Like it, you know, it matters for our day-to-day lives, but it doesn't matter for redemptive history's sake. In dispensationalism um, and and you know, in times views that include a tribulation that's coming up because of world events, mm-hmm. um, and a return of Christ that is brought about more quickly by those world events happening, then all of a sudden, the especially reestablishment of Israel as a nation state with a temple becomes a high priority, and in America that dispensationalism is very prevalent here in America. And a lot of that has to do with our thoughts on our role as a, as a nation in bringing about the next phase in redemptive history. And so it becomes very important that you have a leader who, you know, maintains power in the world and who advocates for the reestablishment of, of, Israel and right. Jerusalem's control over the Temple Mount. 
Right. 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 So that your theology on that is going to make you think very differently about, you know, what's next politically. Okay. So there's that. And that, that, I mean, and that shapes philosophy. It does. It does. Yeah. Your whole, your life, you know, because where you're going, what's next and why change the way you live. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all, and, and, and it's so, I mean, I think you answered your question in a lot of ways, but one of the things maybe we could take it out of, of, uh, theology and, and just t- talk about men and women for a minute. Okay. Not in the sense that, you know, not an Eric style men and women thing for those of who listen to faith over <laughs> breakfast, but it's an easy one to understand because enough studies have been done over enough countries to know that 60% of, you know, men and women are similar. Like we're just the same. Hmm. Right. But the thing that makes us different, like I was talking earlier is our extremes. Um, but some of those extremes or the less differences force us to look at things we're not for we tend to look at life differently right mm-hmm. so right. we have the similarity but the dissimilarity is that men tend to be a little bit more aggressive and women tend to be a little bit more loving and in their outlook and how they understand the world Stuff or like, caring like career driven versus yes. nurturing yeah and, yeah all these things well i think this plays out in just even how we are as human beings like we are created and we're very similar, but then the way we understand the world just from a neurobiological way is different than one another. Mm. Like we have different filters, different cultural experiences, different just genetic and biological, you know, ways of looking at things that are different than one another. I mean, yeah. it's evident in you and I sitting across the table who have very, very similar beliefs. Right. Um, Way more similar than John McCarter and <laughs> Russell Moore. I mean, you'd th- <laughs> maybe. I mean, but but we, yeah. you know, like yeah, we still see the world differently. Right. Think about the world differently. Practice the gospel right. differently, and and so like my, you know, I see this. This is the hard part. Like even with my son, who now is he's going to turn fifteen in August. And he's in that moment in life when you're trying to figure out, what the heck do I believe? And he uh-huh. lives in a world, and not even in his faith, just as politically, and how do I function as a, a human being, as an adult in this world? Like, what do I do? And and I see this frustration because he's a very precise person. Yeah. So he has spent all this time, because, I mean, he's just been taking geometry and stuck right. in the house, uh, just trying to figure out what he thinks systematic racism is. Yeah. So he's like gone, taken a deep dive into the understanding of what a system is right. and what actually is racism and what are people saying like on all, on the academic level all over the place. And I'm like, you're crazy kid. But what he's gotten more and more. But he's like, dad, I'm just trying to be like you. Right. But yeah. he's more and more frustrated because he can't have precision. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he gives, because he's very much, you know, he wants to be a computer programmer. He's right. already programmed. He wants to know what the problem is and plug, identify and, it. And, we want to plug in yeah. it's in. So, how do we fix it? Yeah. Like, what do we need to do? Yeah. And I need very clear ways. Well, that's one way of living the world. Where then my daughter, who is, you know, if my son tends to be a little more right in his political, she's as left as you can get, you know, and still be a sane person. So right. And she's very feel-oriented in the way she approaches yeah. things. Like, 
her, you know, she she's very bright, so she has, you know, her studies and stuff. But all her stories and conversations, there are stories about her friends who experience things, yes. and she experienced them with them, and this is how the world is because they experienced it and I experienced it. And my son is like, yeah, but the statistics don't tell you that's the way it is. Right. You're just telling me stories, but what's actually happening is not that way. And so they get so, into this conversation. Yes. Well, this is what I think is ha- happens. I, yeah, I was I was going to say, I, I think that that actually leads into another side of where I think the divide is. is and, and a nuance that you're bringing to it is just maybe the, the type of mind we have. And people do not think and analyze using the same metrics. Um, right. Right? And that's just true. And so some of that, you're never going to get this other person to to do like you will never get me to do math and statistics or if i do it will be out of dead necessity and it will never move me it just doesn't it's no it never has um i've never i never walked into a math class and felt moved (laughs) ever and i wanted to move out of that class and on to something else right right um and so and another thing i noticed when i thought about i thought about MacArthur and his the folks that tend to surround him versus Russell Moore and people like in like in Gospel Coalition people that tend to surround him is I thought there's there's a general approach to the world that is different and I think it may you know follow along some of these same lines that you're talking about so in in MacArthur world what it feels like to me I'm not saying this is a stated goal is what it feels like is like the relationship of church to the world is critic, church critiques the world, and compound. We build big walls and keep you out. Um, keep you out and your ideas out. Keep it pure in here, and we critique you. And the way that somebody would come in is if they looked at themselves and were like, I suck. Inside the compound is where it's at. And you came to the door and bowed down and said, I'm so sorry. And how could I have ever viewed it any differently? And they go, you know what? Yeah, you can come on in here and be a part of this, but you're going to have to renounce it all and so on and so forth. That That's how it feels to me in like MacArthur world. The way it feels to me in Gospel Coalition world, and I know other people would view this, you're probably even like, I don't know, I think Gospel Coalition is the same. But I think what I've noticed is that there's a much deeper desire to make the faith compelling mm-hmm. to the watching world and to understand what people in the watching world are saying, potentially be like, have discourse and learn from one another. That's, you know, and, I, and I'm sure there are folks out there who it's more like, I trust I trust the watching world more than the church because, you know, they actually know their math or whatever. Um, but that's, I see this fundamental desire within folks like, so I think when Russell Moore is talking about masks and stuff, I, you know, is it all data driven? Maybe, but I think he also just wants, he's like, look, this is the simplest thing I can do to make the gospel compelling. I can live out, uh, a methodology or I can live out a, a very simple practice of loving my neighbor that matters to the watching world, this is easy. I can do this. And they're they're going to stumble over the message of the cross, 
I don't want them to stumble over me fire breathing on them because I'm not willing to wear a mask, right? Mm. That's and, and I think in the other world, it's like get out of the way. Like we have, you know, we have the truth in here. You don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't matter what you think. And I wonder how much of that comes from just that general disposition, the different type of mind, the different type of thought, the evangelist versus the the prophet. The um, you know what I mean? Like how how much is it like we just need each other? We need these different parts, and but we tend to divide over these things. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean. I, I think first we have to understand that in the context of the church, this hasn't, like, this isn't new. This is all it's, the way down to Paul. Oh, it's it's absolutely not new. I'm I'm more, I'm looking at it through this new situation, but I don't think it's ever not been. Yeah. So I think the second thing, though, I think as I listen to you talk, so Paul says that we are free to be slaves to Christ. Yes. This is a big theme in Romans, in particular in Galatians. Another one of my thoughts has to do with rights and freedom and what that means. Yeah. But so why, so if, if I think the United States, and for the first time, so in 200 200 years or so, 250 years, capitalism and individual freedom has come out onto the stage and begun to be promoted. And, the problem with individual freedom is that you have to, as you know, Bob Dylan and Paul both say, you have to be a, you have to serve someone. Yes. So if you're not serving a king, you're going to serve yourself. You're going to serve right. money. You're going to serve an ideology. You're going to, you're always going to serve something. The only way you're truly going to be free is to be enslaved to Christ and have the agenda of Christ. And there's, there's something, there's got to be something theological in here of like we are not. We are not kings. We are not gods. Um, we are. We were made to be servants. Right. Yeah. Now, I. I of what? Is the yes. Yeah. Right. And I think we understand then our freedom differently if we understand it from a Jesus perspective. Right. You know, because we're called to obey the law. Right. And, you know. If the if the if the law closes down its own churches, bars and strip clubs, right? The, and this has been one of my big arguments. If the law was aiming at us for our religious right, but it's closing its government buildings down, yeah. it's yes, I right. agree. This is this is a, a government that actually is saying we're doing our best, at least on the outside, we're doing our best to try to figure this out, right? right? Maybe we're not doing it well, but we're trying to figure it out. And, and, I, and I fully assume that someday we'll watch the documentary and go, wow, we were wrong about something with the COVID-19 pandemic. Like, yeah. as, oh. as a whole, as individuals, I'm sure I will go, oh, wow, I'm an idiot. Yeah. And then there'll be things like, hey, look, I was right about that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pretty much science, which is the god of, of, of our world at this point in time, it seems, I mean, science, which has some reliability, has already said conspiracies don't work. Like, you can't keep a conspiracy. There's There are formulas now to tell you how long a conspiracy <laughs> will last based on how many people are involved. Right. Like, having conspiracy beyond two people is really difficult. Yeah, we need more people <laughs> here to... <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense that the conspiracy just fails. <laughs> yeah. And, and it will fail, you know, it's, it's, it's just the more people, the easier your conspiracy fails. But 
Which is why all these, why, why there's like bajillion new, like new news sites and various, um, oh my goodness, there are all these new platforms getting launched because they, you got to get as many people and then you can sell some ads and stuff. So my, my fear, yeah, so all this is that we are divided as a church yeah. because we, here's the, I guess where I was going with starting is that we have bought into the religion of freedom of the individual. Mm. Freedom of the individual outside of proclaiming that I'm a broken, sinful being in need of Christ does not exist in scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and there is a big, you know, a, a big divide today is between people who are starting to lean a little collectivist and people who are very individualist. And you, you do have to realize like the Bible was written to collectivists. Um, I mean, not that I'm not saying individualism doesn't have its merits, uh, its place. It's a, it's a, to corrective potentially anyway there's there's but we don't realize how committed we are sometimes to what you could call western individualism right well and i think what what the problem is not that john MacArthur has a set of beliefs that he's willing to believe that that they are true um and russell moore has excuse me but that they are not willing to sit down and say I don't have the corner on truth and you don't have the corner on truth and John Piper and N.T. Wright right. don't have a corner on truth and we can just name Gordon right. Fee. I don't know who Everybody. you want to name. Sure. We can all sit I down. I want to name Justin Bieber. And Justin Bieber and listen yeah. to each other and begin to say, well, what would it look like for all of these things to be taken captive and put before mm-hmm. Christ and wrestled with together? And, that's and for the, there to be humility, which right. is a pretty important piece of the whole puzzle yeah. right and so i think there there's a i've already figured it out you're not going to convince me because what we've done in a lot of ways theologically is said we have too many core beliefs <laughs> to mm. the point where we can't have a conversation we can't really talk about anything anymore because i've already decided how i what i believe about these things and i'm not open to listening to you which is now, what you appreciate about the gospel coalition is they're trying to move in that direction yeah, and like I said, I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, they still critique, so yeah, I think it's of course. But I, I see more of it than I saw than I've seen in other circles, yes. and and I think more than I've seen in a lot of situations I've lived in. So that's what's refreshing to me. Um, there's so there's beliefs, and then I would say assumptions. And, and don't you think before we started this out, you were you were saying they, you know, these folks work out of different philosophies. Well, I think, you know, I think Russell Moore and John MacArthur are probably smart enough guys to have probably examined some of their assumptions, maybe, but you don't, they don't state them. You don't hear them, you know, laid out on the, on the table very often. How much do you think of this do you think is that the public perceives people talking about their conclusions without, or, you know, with of people's conclusions without hearing their assumptions and the fact that we are so soundbitey that we don't, we don't have time to work out these complex narratives that lead people to say and believe what they believe. Yeah. We live, we don't live in a world anymore where this is going to be possible. Yeah. What do you, what do we do with that? Like it, I mean, I, I hear that and I go, well, shoot, you know, why bother? But it feels like, I don't know. We can't give up on nuance <laughs> and sitting down talking about things. <laughs> right. I, well, I think 
Uh, to be honest, too, somebody who's 48 years old, so I get to be the old guy. It's like, who's that? That's me. Yeah. One of the experiences I feel like I've kind of went through was, oh, wow, like, I'm this, I fit this certain way in culture. And when I was in my mid-20s, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm the young person. Yeah. The world is not the way it used to be for the last hundred years. Like, these things are changing, you know, and drastically. It's not like this, you know, yeah. normal, you know, and, and, and I'm a product of, of all of the stupidity of the 60s and, like, my parents and all. And then all of a sudden, I'm 48. I don't matter anymore. And what I'm even noticing with millennials, the older yeah. ones, they don't matter anymore. And you go, like, oh, they were man, the this thing. This is how my parents felt. Right. And then Gen Z, yeah. is, they're, they kind of are becoming irrelevant. Right. Uh, and and so all of a sudden we are we, what we were starting to all realize is we don't matter and you're just like this is, can I actually make a change is it really worth sitting down right. and talking about it or do I just go find my tribe and my people and just and, and just talk to them because it's m- far more enjoyable and go find some more of my tribe like as a follower of Jesus there mm-hmm. are people who don't follow Jesus who are in my tribe right. and I can go and I can say come back to the tribe let's let's you understand what I'm talking about. Let's talk about this. Let's let's find Jesus in our tribe. Right. And I, I don't know if like there's and then we can sometimes that there are tribes that are similar to ours, like yours, we can be like, Oh, let's talk. Like let's we we know it. We're let's still do a speaking podcast together. We're still speaking English. So we it's a different dialect, but we can un, kinda understand right. each other. But it keeps getting further and further out. So I love the Gospel Coalition and we I I haven't been since it's gone to Zoom except once. But yeah. I go to those those meetings. And sometimes I'm like, well, some of these people, every other word, they're speaking French. Like, I don't even understand mm-hmm. what they're saying, like, let alone, like. Well, and the truth is our expression of the Gospel Coalition here in Tucson is, you know, I think I weren't, we do, st- we have Moors and MacArthur's. Yeah, and it's very diverse. And which it's- which is, in a way, a beautiful thing, um, but it makes it, yeah, it makes it. Still tough because you know at any point somebody's speaking and there's a couple of us going like I'm, I don't know you know I personally I don't, I'm not really interested in having a version without that tension where you bring people who have different ideas to the same table get them in relationship with each other where they have to grapple yeah, I don't have with each other's ideas because they are getting to know each other to me that's the only way to do it um, like if you just if you th- no okay. Are there moments where it's nice to just sit with your tribe around the fire? I mean, I say this, not, that sounds weird. I have a fire pit in my backyard. I love to sit around there. I'm thinking of like five or six close friends Yeah, where you just, we all are on the same page. We can just rant about it and wow, it's great. Sure. But if you only do that, it's, 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 the divisions just grow and grow and grow and grow. Right. Well, and and the (sighs) I wonder if there's a piece to this of like how much exposure you allow yourself to have to other, not, not just other people's ideas, but to the people themselves that have those other ideas. If you allow yourself to know people who have the other ideas, how much does that change your approach? I I think it changes some of it, but I think, I mean, I think you have to make a choice to be cognitively dissonant. Uh-huh. Like, because I can go to, when I go to things like Gospel Coalition and things like that. There are people because I've been in this town for a while. I know them for a long time, right? And I'm like, I don't agree with your hermeneutic. I don't agree with how you read the Bible. 
I can sit with you on the Apostles' Creed and on the right. deity of Christ and, and in general the, in, the inspiration of Scripture and its authority in our lives. But outside of that, like you and I are, philosophically are going right. to disagree with each other, but I want to learn from you. And I can do that. I can have cognitive dissonance in that. Right. Um, and, and that's which, which I still think is, I appreciate that because I think our culture is losing some of that. Well, I think. In certain circles. I think the young, and I, I don't mean to be the older guy, but this is kind of playing itself out in social science right now is that, you know, people 25 and under, we've created a fragility in just across the generation of, they can't handle ideas that are contrary to their own. Oh gosh. I mean, and being told that you're wrong and you need to be quiet right now or something, people are just like, it's like they're being abused. Yeah. Yeah. Which. And, and that's, that's yeah. a dangerous thing thing and, and it's not just the not just conservatives are saying this you know liberal uh, yes basically uh, the, the academic <laughs> people are saying this is bad we're 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 in trouble well because for academia to work you have to be able to share ideas challenge ideas push back on, this is what sharpens people and if we can't do that we're going to have a bunch of fools yes yeah so if we but if we go back what we've if we talk about these two characters russell moore and and john MacArthur. They aren't fragile, but they don't give a you know what about the other in a sense of like, hey, I'm going to sit down and you have something really genuine to offer to my very strongly held belief. Now, I should say, I should say, I have no idea of their relational dynamic. I have, I like sure. for we're from talking what about their public personas. The public persona is they, they're coming across very different. For all I know, they have a cup of tea every Thursday and sit down and, and just sure talk don't. about their wives and, and, but, uh, and they're, you know, and they play a, play a game of ping pong. I have no idea. But um, if I was on NPR and you were in the John MacArthur thing and you'd written out a thing about gathering and right. I would say, I've talked to him a lot. I think he understands his political, the gospel very politically and the way he's going to play it out in, in our culture and what God's inviting him to do is is to stand up to power. I don't agree with that, but I think it's a legitimate interpretation of scripture and and I think he has a right to make his proclamation. And and yeah, and I would say something like that too. This is what, this gets back to the assumptions. Like I wish people would, I wish there was, we did a better job in general, of saying, you know, they get to this conclusion because of X, Y, and Z. I have different presuppositions than them, so right. I get to a different conclusion, but I see how what they believe fits their system, and I can have some respect for that. Um, and I think it's legitimate. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's it's not my system, but it has legitimacy. It bears, you know, you, you need to examine it for what it is. You need to see if it's consistent in and of itself. You need to look at it. But um, because, the idea outside of the system is kind of weak. Right, because partly in our world, a world value system is that, at least seems recently, that if I present to you like an ethic of being white or the African-American community's view of something, we think of them as very monolithic. So right. when we say evangelicals, we yes. press things of them as very monolithic. They and Absolutely. Every it's group not, is monolithic, yeah. and, I, and, and what we're... Right. The truth is, no group is monolithic. No. Yeah. There are groups within groups within groups, and there, again, it's like a 60% similarity and 30% yeah. difference, and the difference matters because it changes the way we function in the world. It does. What do you think about the the commitment 
to, I guess, like just some of the basic ideals of America that these folks hold and how key that is to all this? Or do you think that just flows out of the the philosophy? Because I, I think, I, I try to imagine if I were a dispensational, you know, guy from Pakistan, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dispensationalism wouldn't be America-centered. Oh, it would be. You think so? Because dispensationalism is just too American in general. Oh, to, I mean, it comes out of what is Darby it, and what's it? Ryrie. Ryrie, yeah. Yeah. But go look them up, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have time to explain it. But, uh, like, well, I think because, you know, in dispensational theology and philosophy, the United States is the second Israel. And so... It, it, it in the sense of not from its biblical perspective, but from its way it serves and connects itself to God. So there's this interpretation yeah. of how American history came about. So yes. the tr- the the early church, or early American uh, founders are deists and Christians, right. and their faith is continually kind yes. of touted. And and honestly, like. The, the reason I sort of sighed when you said that is I was going to say, I think dispensationalism was born out of that. I yes, think that's probably true. I, because that that idea, that sort of manifest destiny idea and the layering of the Exodus story over the, the you know, arrival of Anglos from Europe, you know, came out of a, out of post-Reformation tension and a desire and, and maybe post-millennialism um, that the kingdom was coming and you know, and on this earth in the traveling out of the papish heresy into a new world. There there was there was a lot of narrative that well, wasn't dispensational yet, and then disp- dispensationalism yeah. grew up in that right. environment. Yeah, and well, and, yeah. I don't know if that makes some sense. You know, that, it, it does make sense. I was just thinking about, you know, Reformed Baptists, make up a lot of the underpinnings of American history. And yes. And so, and because they were persecuted by the Lutherans and the, and the Calvinists, they were persecuted by like everybody. Yes. Yeah. And so it kind of is underneath our, our, uh, uh, kind of, it's in the fabric of everything. And if you want, if if anybody's out there going like, "Wow, how did the Southern Baptists get so huge?" It's like, well, yeah, because everybody hated them. And you come to America where you get to do your thing, and the, that's the group that had the most vigor is right. because they all like, man, there are all these beautiful rivers, and we can baptize people freely in them. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and hold our views that we would have been killed for back in the you know sixteen hundreds or fifteen hundreds. Well, and yeah. I think the other thing, so to go back to like this idea that as long as the United States acknowledges God, serves God, and protects the church, uh-huh. we will be a country that is instrumental in the raising up of Jerusalem or and Israel and protecting them and bringing in the the, the second coming of Christ in a sense. So, so people worldwide who hold the view that that the United States is the ordained power that brings about the eschaton, mm-hmm. if you will, would still view it that way. Yeah, I believe Yeah, so. and put their faith in God via the United States of America. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to, it'd be an interesting thing to do to read the Bible for a year and ask the question, is the USA as central as I've been taught all year long? (laughs) 
Yeah, it would be interesting. So in all of this, I've been pondering something for a couple of weeks in context to what you've been pondering, except I hadn't been the John MacArthur, Russell Moore thing. But both of those men, I've been struggling with the ideas that they've been putting forward. Uh-huh. Because both put forward an action-oriented thing that's very earthly, right? So sure. John MacArthur is standing up to power. Sure. And Russell Moore is saying, we're, well, we're the hands and feet of Christ. And we, we, we have solidarity with the, the oppressed and we bring, we actually bring justice. We can step in and offer good things to our neighbors, right? These are, these are kind of yeah. the basic. I mean, yeah, generally, generally. Sure. So I, we've been studying in our church and we've been kind of taking the church to, uh, second Corinthians chapter 10, yeah. verse five verses. And Paul is up explaining to the Corinthian church, like who he is basically and why he's written this letter. And he says to them, because they're basically like, hey, he's all tough in his letter, but when he talks to us, he's timid. And he says, you know, pray that I don't have to come as the tough guy, but you want the timid guy. But remember that we are only in the world. We don't use the weapons of, of the, the world. world. Yeah. We use the weapons that have divine power to tear yeah. down strongholds. And then in verse 5, it literally says, and the logical, worldly logical arguments, and you could interpret, it says pretense, or, but it's this idea of uh, anything, any idea that raises itself mm-hmm. up above the knowledge of God. Like so, we we just we demolish worldly logical arguments and things that are put up before the knowledge of God, and then we take every thought captive mm-hmm. by taking every captive and bringing before Christ. And the thing that struck me there is I don't hear anyone in all mm-hmm. of this talking about the divine power in which we are given as followers of Jesus to fight against. And I've been thinking because I have to preach on. Ezekiel, which is, don't try to preach on the entire book of Ezekiel or any prophet. Yeah, okay. So we've been (laughs) been doing that. But the end of Ezekiel talks about basically Gog and Magog, which is the power behind the powers. Yeah. Because four times in Ezekiel, they're killed. He just keeps killing Gog. But it's this idea that he's dead, right? And there are these stages of death. But it's the evil behind the powers. Right. And and I think... uh, like there is a lot in all these different areas where I think the church is like, yeah, but praying and thinking about how we deal with these things in a bigger way, that's not as easy as just having a set of beliefs mm-hmm. that we're going to fight. We're just going to, you know, this is the way it is. Now, it's not that I don't think you should have beliefs and there are things you stand, stand on that are core, but I think Paul does say like we're supposed to like we don't fight against one another people that there is some kind of battle that we have to figure out and we haven't figured it out. We don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do yeah. it because I don't want to like, like you and I have talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast and you were like, well, but like people interpret spirituality differently and what a spiritual war is. Exactly. It seems to me in scripture, that's one of the major things that we are right. called to as a church. And yet we don't know how to do it very well. Yeah, no, I think that's very valid. I want to say I I feel like I need to pitch in really quick on the like just to be fair to MacArthur and more in this. I mean, we're we're discussing two things that 
were very public oriented. So sure. for whatever, you know, MacArthur feels like he wants to have a petition signed regarding religious gatherings. So, you know, we're, that is something that I've seen. And then Russell Moore was, you know, he was called for an interview to sure. try to discuss evangelicals in the public sure. square. Sure. So that's what he's going to talk about in that space. Um, I do believe that they have, you know, that they that they do a lot more spiritual work than uh, what we're discussing here. Now yeah. that said, I'm not I'm not invalidating your point. I'm just saying I I want to be clear that I don't believe that either John MacArthur or Russell Moore engage in primarily just externals. Um, yeah, yeah. But that said, um, yes, I think it's it's always easier to focus on external stuff and ask the orthopraxy question or what's our what's our Christian practice regarding right. X, Y, or Z. Yes. Um but that yeah, what does the spiritual layer where the spiritual power actually comes from look like is we are weak in that discussion. We are. And we tend to just say things like, I think I should pray and read my Bible more. Yeah. What are some discoveries you're having? Well, I think, you know, we started our community out in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I know everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know that. I just was reading it. Right. Uh, but the, the short is, and I, I, is, you know, Jehoshaphat is a king of, and he's gonna, about to get killed and his whole place is going to get, all his people are going to get killed. And they go Con- for the- Contrary to popular belief, yes. a very thin man. Yes, very thin man. Yeah. And- uh, <laughs> And basically the people of Israel end up in front of the temple and they say this very profound thing. We do not know what to do. Yeah. But our eyes are on you. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they stayed there because obviously God spoke to them and they did some stuff. But it's interesting that God clearly says to them, it's not your fight. It's my fight. You have to participate in it. But it's not if it's going to be unorthodox. Yes, which I thought was interesting. So that was one thing we've kind of processed and fasted through. Things I think that, I like that unorthodox. I feel like when I've seen what feel like the most genuinely Christian actions in the world, they're very uncategorizable. There, it's difficult to. It's like it's not just nonviolent. It's more than that, right. you know, or something. It's where you go. I can't quite put it in just a category. Right. Yeah. Well, and what I, you know, what I realize is I think through the New Testament and seeing the gospel go forward, it's Paul approached the gospel and it's his mission very differently than Peter, very right. differently than John, very yep. differently than James and Timothy. They all, because God gives us very unique callings. We do it together. We are different people. But we have unique callings. So even for all of us approaching this, like, we have to think, you know what, individually God is calling me some, to something and corporately we're called to hold on to each other as we do that together. Yeah. Right. And I, so I don't, so that's one thing. I think the thing that really got me thinking about this is there's a woman who wrote a book called more Christian than African American. Yeah. And what her point was, she's a lawyer and she's like, look, here's all the evil. And I speak out against the evil and saying that this is wrong. This is wrong. That's how you speak out against it. But, there's a force behind it, mm-hmm. and my brown skin cannot fight that force. Mm. The only thing that can fight that force is my identity in Christ. 
and who and and that I have in common with everyone. Right. And she says it doesn't mean I'm not proud to be an African American woman and I don't live in that identity, but it's not my defining identity. Right. And, and this he, is very Tim Keller is always right. saying your Christian as a as a Christian, your Christian identity becomes number one. Right. And but, yeah. But what was really fascinating to me is I think what she was saying is in the world, when you look at me, I'm an African American woman. That's how you'll experience me. And that's how, yeah. and that's great. You should experience yeah. me that way. Yeah. When I go to war and you go to war against evil, you yeah. and I are in Christ together and right. we stand together in that. And I think that was, I was like, oh, like, so I'm not, my own identity as a white man is not diminished, but it's not important and it's not helpful in fighting a battle against evil. Only my identity right. in Christ is. Now, I and I love that, and I, I do, but, like, my immediate thought is, so what about the moment where you realize your, yeah, your identity in Christ is what you're fighting for, but then one of you is fighting for, like, let's say we move into the next, um, you know, the next election cycle. And I know we're talking about spiritual things, but one of our identities tells us, I have a specific candidate that I think God is for, and I'm fighting for that. You know, how do you engage with where, where you delineate between what spiritual, what is the spiritual thing we're supposed to be fighting for actually? Um, you know, cause, cause I think that happens. We get together and we find that we're doing what, what, what we would call spiritual fighting, but it becomes about specific temporal objectives again you know how do you address that or do you just sure i don't know well i think that there are many candidates that believe things that line up with the gospel i i I know that i'm just saying more like how do you when somebody interprets the spiritual fight as being for a candidate or not for a candidate or for a specific you know any I'm just saying that's one example of many because often the spiritual fighting we do, maybe I should say, what should we prioritize in our spiritual fighting and how do we respond when we feel like somebody isn't, is prioritizing something that's more temporal? Yeah. Well, I think we should realize number one is that we're always in a culture war and so was Jesus. Right. So the question becomes how did Jesus handle culture war? Because there's where the spiritual I I very much is agree with like if you want to see what what it would look like to yeah, how how much time did Jesus spend on the culture war surrounding him? Right. Yeah. Well, and he didn't make the people who were most similar to him happy. No. He absolutely did. Because he did not take their agenda, but he also did not take the agenda of the oppressed either. He assembled a group of people who had, in very many ways, opposing views concerning the culture war. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. And he actually invited them to all remove from their points of power. Mm -hmm. Matthew had to leave his place where he collected money and, and detach himself from the Roman government. Peter had to give up, actually, I believe, a, and John had to give up relatively wealthy oh, yeah. um, businesses I, and give I, up their business power. I agree. Yep. You know, the zealot had to yep. realize that he was not going to overthrow the Roman government by violence. That was right. not what, and so they're all called to something different. So what is it that they're called to? What is it? What is the Pharisee called to? 
And so, and, and I actually, I'm really try. I fully agree with you. Like it wasn't all of you give up the money. It was you who serve the money, give up the money. Right. And it wasn't all of you give up your political standing. Some of them didn't probably even care, but those of you who have it, you give it up. Right. Yeah. It, so the, the call in required a different sacrifice. So here's what I yeah. think Jesus was always about humanizing everyone mm. and get and, and affirming their identity in Christ. I mean, identity as an image bearer yeah. and giving them that moment. So when I think about fighting evil, when I look at the conservative and I look at all these different movements, liberal movements and black lives matter, when I see the image of God being torn down in any way, that's a spiritual battle mm. that when black lives yeah. matter walks in to a store and or whenever a protest right. or right. And they, and they, hurt somebody they destroy something right. that's destroying the image of god there's a darker force happening mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. when 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 a conservative person begins to to assault people through through their their verbal techniques or whatever yeah. else their their overarching amount of statistics and whatever else i, I mean i don't know yeah. what then they're dehumanizing people's stories and saying you don't matter that's right. a spiritual battle yeah and that's where i'm called to say no 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 i'm going to I'm going to pray against the enemy because I don't think because he's stirring up dissension. I mean, yeah. the enemy wants us all to be against each other. Yes, he wants us not to listen. He wants us to. He wants us to not give value to one another's stories. He, he and if that's for a follower of Jesus. Jesus would get in the middle of all of this, I think, and he would say to to those who are saying, "No, no, we need law and order." You you need to listen to these people and to the people to the rioters and protesters. He would be saying, "Look, you need you cannot hurt and harm people, and you cannot you can't do this." I, I think I think that's really good, and I think the spiritual battle wouldn't just take sides. I think it would have, um, it would have words of affirmation and hard words for all sides. Yes, yeah, and people say, "Well, Jesus got violent." Jesus got violent one time. It's the reason he got crucified. And there were some very, very, very specific reasons for it. Yes. Yeah. It was linked to Old Test to the Old Testament and the temple itself. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and he knew what he was doing and it was intentional and it was a moment to make a political a, a, a spiritual statement about who God is. Well, and and it was, you know, like casting these people out of a space in which they were not supposed to be right anyway right like it was and it was very much a space under his authority yes right and it was a and it was an assertion it was right after his triumphal entry it's 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 very very you can't just pull that out of its whole narrative and yeah and so i think it's important to understand that that's Jesus's only political statement. It was a statement in which he planned in order to die for all of us, oh, yeah. um, and to make his first, his first and last public kind of. Pool. This is how it's it. I am the king, mm-hmm. and I have the authority here. Mm-hmm. You don't. Yeah, Romans. and he and he did it, and it was also a very strange way of asserting authority. Like you, you ride into the city on a baby donkey, which looks really weird. And so you, it's almost a mockery of, I believe Pontius Pilate had a triumphal entry the day before, they think. Um, and they, and he would have come in on stallions and stuff. And, and Jesus comes in on a little meandering baby donkey. 
and you know to the point to where i mean if you've seen these things at the fair it's like your feet would drag on the ground it's a strange sight and and you know so almost a mockery of power but then comes into the temple and asserts power in a way that people had never seen right and it was all i think everybody watching had to be like they couldn't categorize it right what is you know yeah what's what is this what's happening here and right. and yeah and absolutely knowing what this was leading to right so i mean i think there's your public way of being fighting spiritual battle i think the second part and i think christians don't realize how much power we have when spiritually when we pray for and act on the behalf of those who don't have right you know we can be parts of organizations that do this and that can be part of the spiritual battle but i think me getting on my knees and praying for my neighbors who are struggling and then stepping into whatever god's calling me to is a spiritual battle because satan wants all of us to be separate and believe that we are not interconnected mm-hmm. and ha- can care for one another. And I think the other thing, I mean, you're like, I keep going on this, but I think Satan wants us to think we're all supermen. Yeah. That somehow I can, I can engage in every single one of these things and have, you know, no, God's called you to a small space Yeah, and you have to trust one another. Right. To, 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 for us to be collected in doing this. I don't know. I could go on and on about this. Sorry. No, it's it's good. Well, maybe we uh, maybe we pick up on some version of this later. We should say, and um, and we'll say it in the intro as well that the, you know when we talk about such things, this is us processing through as pastors. It's very much our our breakfast meetup, and so you can find all sorts of people in both of our churches who see things differently than us. So this isn't meant to speak for them. No. Um, and uh, thank you for for tuning in and listening to our ramblings. Yeah. yeah. We appreciate you all. Feel free if you've got, if you have questions or you've got some uh, insight to add to that, email us at faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com. And we hope we'll look at it maybe. And we probably will look at it. <laughs> you look, I haven't looked at Faith Over Breakfast email in a while. Have you? Yeah. Uh, I, we haven't gotten one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <In a while. laughs> so on that note, see you later. All right. All right.